0: I've been looking for a way to volunteer and to get to Israel since the war started. So, as soon as I got the email, I was very excited and I immediately applied.
1: That's I'm a promotional video from the Birthright Onward program appealing to diaspora Jews like that Canadian woman you just heard who flew to Israel to volunteer for a few days picking fruit packing boxes, visiting the hostages' families, and seeing the burned-out kibbutzes and communities from October 7th. While Israel's military fights on multiple fronts, there's a whole other campaign going on now on the home front. It's to make sure there's a country for the soldiers to come back to. And many Canadians are taking part. They've started shelling out thousands of dollars to take short trips, maybe 60 hours, sometimes a little longer, to see with their own eyes where the attack happened. And to volunteer. It's a sense of needing to be there, to do something, to contribute. And so wine tastings in the Galilee and mud baths at the Dead Sea are out, and picking avocados in the south is in. It's also helping Israel's agricultural sector, that's taken the hit of losing both its foreign workers and Palestinian laborers, plus the Israelis and farm managers called up to serve in the army. Meanwhile, Israel's tourism sector is now at a standstill. Hotels are full of internally displaced people and many airlines, including Air Canada, haven't resumed flying – And so, as Israelis personally deeply appreciate these boots-on-the-ground visits by Solidarity Missions, the Government Tour Office of Israel is also seeing a ray of hope coming from this new sense of unity across the wider Jewish world. I think to go for two reasons.
2: One, to, to see what's actually going on, because it's one thing on the news and another thing in reality. But two, to show Israel that... You know, like I said to my kids, like, Israel's not just a place you can go to to celebrate a bar mitzvah, have a party and leave. Like, if you love Israel and you stand by Israel, then it's in good times and in bad times. So I think we all have to, you know, put our money where our mouth is, whoever can,
1: and actually go. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. (laughs) you'll have likely heard from people who have taken part in these lightning volunteer solidarity missions to Israel. Whether it's the 50 Canadian Jewish leaders and a handful of members of parliament who spent three days on the ground in Israel in November, or influencers like Shai DeLuca and Isabella Hazan who went, or the Jewish National Fund. On today's show, you'll hear from some of the people who've just returned from these trips and also from the Israeli consul for Tourism in Toronto, who's now got a small budget and marketing materials to help promote this kind of new voluntourism. First, meet Rabbi Dan Moskowitz of Vancouver's Temple Sholem. He joined a delegation of eight rabbis from his city during Hanukkah in December in Israel. They brought 21 duffel bags full of winter clothing and supplies for the soldiers. They paid tribute to two Canadians murdered by Hamas, and they toured Kibbutz Be'eri and the Nova Music Festival area wearing helmets and flak jackets. And they met Israeli Arabs too. Rabbi Moskowitz joins from his office in Vancouver about the importance of his trip of bearing witness. How did this mission get formed? Whose idea was it? How did it come about? Uh,
3: so we have the Rabbinical Association of Vancouver here, the RAV, and um, you know, shortly after October seventh, we were trying to. I would say certainly by the beginning of November, um, we were trying to think about how we could be in Israel because we 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 were here and we wanted to be there. Um, We wanted to do something, and uh, we also felt a need to to bear witness and to bring that back.
1: What was it like when you land? I'm sure you've been in Israel before, so you've seen normal tourism. No, it
3: it doesn't look like it's normal. Even just the flight over there, everybody that is going is going for a purpose. Uh, Our flight was filled with people that were going to volunteer to work in the fields to to help bring in the crops. We had a a few people that were going back from Elohim that had been called up even recently uh, with us was a doctor from our community uh, that was going over to do some training and support for wounded soldiers. Uh, but when we landed, the first thing you see is the bomb shelter sign, and you don't see anybody else. There's, there are no planes except for these LL flights uh, at Ben-Gurion. It was, it was a ghost town in many ways. And then as you walk down that ramp to, you know, to get to passport control, all along the sides are signs of hostages, uh, You know these, these posters that we've seen. These are tied on with zip ties to the railing and you can see where the zip tie is there but the sign isn't anymore because maybe that person's been freed or perhaps they've been declared dead. And so the zip ties themselves kind of stood out for me.
1: You didn't have any rockets or any uh, siren? Did anything happen while you guys were there?
3: There were plenty of sirens while we were there but fortunately never in the areas that we were at at the time. The, the closest though we got was when we were at Kibbutz Beri, um and we could hear outgoing rounds the whole time that we were touring uh, the kibbutz with uh, survivors of the kibbutz. And that was about as close to a war zone as I've ever been. Um, We could hear some machine gun fire from helicopters and we could see troops uh, rushing over uh, the border uh, road into Gaza in uh, Humvees and and other type of armored carriers.
1: And they let you guys who are civilians see all that stuff?
3: They do want people to see this. They want people to see what what took place. Um, It's very important. And the reference that I was using was uh, my tours of concentration camps. But this was different because those are in black and white and they're 75, 80 years ago. I can't relate in the same way, but here this is in living color. It's present tense. The artifacts on the ground are children's books that my own children have read, toys that my kids have played with. You're walking on shards of people's things, you know, shoes and uh, household goods. You know, that's what's beneath your feet. People's lives, all that they've accumulated, is beneath your feet. But you realize it's not just stuff; there are people. It it, it is very present. It is very current, Um, and it was. it was jarring, and it has stayed with me. You can't unsee those things.
1: Now, Vancouver had one of the eight Canadians who was murdered, Ben Mizrahi. What part of the mission does his memory play and what, what happened?
3: We landed Monday evening, and um, we met with Yossi Klein-Halevi and another uh, Jewish educator. Uh, and then we actually we met with some, some other people that are connected to our community that you know sort of met with us in our hotel, including... Um, uh, Adi Kaploon's, uh family, um, who are also connected to my synagogue, and I got to sit with her parents, um, which was just devastating.
1: Are they not sick of having all these tours come by and talk to them every day from all over the world after they're, they finish their shiva? Not, o-
3: not only are the Kaplouns willing to meet, but they're doing Zoom meetings with congregations all around North America. But back to your original question about did they just kind of drop us in and, and and Ben Mizrahi's family, a blessed memory. On our way back, we stopped at the kibbutz where Ben is buried. Uh, we were met by a family friend who told us more about Ben. I mean, we know Ben well. He goes to this went to the same high school that my children go to. My son is a friend with his younger brother. He's buried just 100 meters away from Itai, the young friend of his that he ran back to help save using his, his skills as a medic, and he was shot beside him. And we placed a stone and we said a psalm. We did what you do at cemeteries, we we cried. And we we felt the heaviness of of the moment.
1: You didn't do any agricultural volunteering, did you, with harvesting?
3: You know, we wanted to do some kind of sadaka, some kind of volunteering, but we were really only on the ground for 60 hours. Um, and for us to pick fruit during that time, while it would help the fruit, we thought that we could do more. And so instead, we hosted. We came during Hanukkah. I think it was the sixth night of Hanukkah that we were there, or the seventh. And so we hosted a Hanukkah party uh, at one of the uh, small hotels uh, in uh, Tel Aviv for people that were displaced from Kiryat Shmona, which happens to be this wasn't the plan, but happens to be our sister community for our Vancouver uh, community. And uh, there were about a hundred families there, and we. Gave everybody bottles of wine. We hired a musician and a singer. And we um, provided gifts for the kids and gift cards for the families. And it was interesting because it started off and people were not really singing. And there was, again, like a Shiva house. There was a, it was tempered. But then people lightened up. And uh, we did a menorah lighting, a Hanukkah menorah lighting, and everybody lit a candle that wanted to force someone or, or, or for some uh, theme. And uh, people really opened up from their hearts and started to sing along, and it turned into a, a, an evening of joy, of light in the midst of darkness. And uh, yeah, I'll just say one, one other thing, which is that um, it was important to us that we also meet with Israeli Arabs. We wanted to meet with Palestinians, but that's just not possible. Uh, right now. But we did meet with Israeli Arabs and um, we wanted to understand what this is like for them. And the most telling example I can give you is we met with somebody from Yad-Vayad, which is the hand-in-hand schools. And uh, these are, you know, mixed Israeli, you know, Arab, Jewish, Christian, Muslim schools. And she was explaining one scenario, which, which had happened in a classroom, a child and their favorite teacher. Their favorite teacher gets called up for miluim. The child goes to the teacher this really happened goes to the teacher and says whatever the teacher's name is you know I want you to be safe I don't want you to die in Gaza but please don't kill my family because she has family members in Gaza also And right there is the is the pain of this whole thing I imagine there was a hug and they were look I was crying so they must have been Yeah well you got me here now and I wasn't even close that mm-hmm. is an incredible story
1: Yeah very poignant Yeah People that I've spoken to who've been on missions said they got more out of it than they expected to get. You're coming home now and you're home for a bit. What did you get out of it personally?
3: Well, it's really stayed with me. Um, I would say that that sort of my shorthand reference is that Israel is a a shiva house and uh, they are in mourning. And even when there's laughter, it's tempered nothing feels normal everything feels heavy and weighted down by what has happened i came away tremendously um, impressed and inspired by how israel has pulled together by the people of israel you know we were so fractured on october 6th and while there is still you know undercurrents of the political uh, turmoil and, and disruption that is there Uh, The people of Israel are fully united. The startup nation is 100% at work at distributing supplies and resources across the country.
1: And yourself, you have a bracelet type of program going on. Why don't you just give us the latest on
3: what that is and how it's going? I remember when I was a a teen, uh, the Soviet refuseniks and the silver bracelets that we wore with the names of them on them, right? And you had to bend them to get them on your wrist and the whole thing. Uh, and we might have had them on chains also. And so, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks after the events of October 7th, I thought we needed to do something. I needed to do something to honor the names of those that are being held. Because names are people. Names are souls. And so I uh, I own a small business anyways, a small Jewish software company. So I had sort of the, the business infrastructure to do this. I reached out to a manufacturer in China, and I had 5,000, now it's 7,500 7, blue stainless steel bracelets, each engraved with the name of the hostage or a hostage. We've sold, um what was it now, about 2,700 bracelets, raised over $20,000 um, for the Jewish Federation Israel Emergency Fund. And more than that, I think we've raised a lot of awareness. I'm now getting people that are telling me, oh, I'm ordering this bracelet because I saw it on somebody's wrist. So that's why I did it. And it's, uh, it's it, uh, I'm doing it with my wife and my kids. We stuff the envelopes ourselves. It's a bit of a passion project. Uh, but it makes me feel like i got something I can do. Even though I'm a rabbi, this gives me another thing that I can do.
0: Israel needs you now more than ever. Come and stand in solidarity with the country following the tragic terrorist attack on October 7th and the subsequent war.
3: Torontonians
1: Yael Benarosh and Sharia Tedgi spent eight days in Israel in November on a unity trip, traveling with a group of 80 Jewish mothers from the diaspora. It was under the auspices of the Momentum program. Now, they weren't permitted to go near the Gaza pocket to see the site of the attack because authorities hadn't yet opened it for visitors. But they marched for the hostages in Modi'in. They heard moving testimony from hostages' families and survivors. They made 4,000 sandwiches they even harvested giant sweet potatoes with the Leket organization. Now they're both home sharing their experiences. And I met them in the lobby of the Prosserman Jewish Community Centre in Toronto, where Tedgi works running Jewish day camps. She wears a cloth bracelet she picked up on her trip in honour of the victims of the Nova Music Festival. Meanwhile, Benarosh wears one of those Bring Them Home silver dog tag necklaces. She runs a human resources company. And joining us now from Toronto are... Sherry Tedgi and Yael Benarash. Let's start from the beginning. How did you decide that this is something you were going to go on?
0: So I got an email from uh, an organization called Momentum. Um, it's a trip. It's kind of like birthright for moms, I guess, if I had to describe it. This was five weeks after the October 7th attack. I felt really, really helpless, even though as much as we could, we were doing, you know, we were fundraising here and, and going to Tehillim and challah bakes and, and doing different stuff. I just felt like I wanted to do something with my hands. So as soon as I saw that email got come through, um, even though I have... You know, a big family at home, and I didn't even know how I was going to make it happen with, you know, work and stuff like that. As soon as I saw the email, I just felt the need to to get on that plane and, and go. And then the next day, I saw Sherry at Shul. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw Yael at Shul, Shabbat Shalom. And she said, you know what? Maybe you would
2: be interested. I'm going to be applying to this mission to Israel. It's a volunteer mission for Jewish moms. And she started telling me a little bit about it. And my whole body got shivers. Like, and I just knew I had to go. There wasn't a choice at that point. So right after Shul, I said to my husband, I'm going to Israel next week. <laughs> he said, okay. And a week later, we were on the plane.
1: I mean, you've been to Israel before, obviously, for bar mitzvahs, I don't know, simchas, yeah, your own times. things. Many times, yeah. yeah.
2: And this
1: is a whole different
2: thing. Well, they called it a unity mission, and I felt that's, that was perfectly said, because it was really, I knew, you know, picking a few sweet potatoes wasn't going to change anything, but we, I just wanted to be there to show the Israelis that we were meeting that we care about them, that we got up and we came to see them, to give them a hug, and just show them that we care about them. So that's why I feel unity mission is the best way to explain it.
1: So you met, did you meet any survivors?
2: Right when we landed, we went to a conference center in Modin um, and literally one of the first speakers was a mother and a daughter and the daughter is a mother herself from Kfar Aza and they told us their story as well the first time they were sharing their story. That was sort of the opening to our
0: whole trip. We also, I guess, I would say, had really the privilege to be there during the march of the hostages where the families actually marched between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And we joined them for a part of that march. And we got to hear, again, first hand stories from some of the families. And some of us, one particular woman came up to us asking, you know, who are you guys? And we said we're from, you know, all over North America. Some, some of us came from Australia, South Africa. We came here for the week to, to join you and, and show our support. And literally, what she said to us was, I have goosebumps all over. Thank you so much for coming. And Because I think, also, especially at that point, they really felt isolated. Um, they felt that they were going through it alone. So just knowing that these women who, you know, have lives and have children, and they just dropped everything to come and be with them. Granted, it was only for, for a week. Uh, it, the impression that we got was that it meant a lot to them that that we came to show our support
2: yeah i think there were two things first of all like el said everybody kept thanking us and thanking us that we were like please stop like there's nothing to thank us for Mm -hmm. it's for us to come and you know do whatever we can here just you know give you a hug and show you that we support you but also the the survivors who we heard from and the government officials They all said, please take our messages home with you. So we felt a very big responsibility to come home and give those messages, which is why we did get together. Like I presented to the staff here at the JCC. We presented to our friends. I went to a public school and presented to the teachers there, Jewish and non-Jewish, really to tell the stories. Like They asked us, please tell our story. And that's what we felt like we had the mission to come back and do. So um, I do think it was important for
1: that too. And... So now that uh, you know, you see, I'm going to get into politics here. You may or may not want to answer it. You know, you're Canadian. Was there any pushback because you went kind of right after Trudeau and Netanyahu had the little spat where Trudeau during, said I think yeah. we were there for that? I think. How did they feel about Canada's support or non-support? Did they say they anything? don't care about
2: Canada? To Neither? be honest, they don't care about Canada. To be honest, because I asked them that because it was so embarrassing, mm. and they said Canada, you know. I, I think that it matters more to us for living here, what Trudeau says, right? As us and our safety as Jewish people in Canada. But to Israel, I really don't think it matters. It need- oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. And in terms of what you saw in Israel, you said um, that the uh, the, uh, the airport was empty. What about the hotels, the streets, like the economy? How do you, what impact are you seeing there in terms of tourism?
0: We went on Motei Shabbat to Ben Yehuda and... You know, other times that I've been to Israel, Ben Yehuda is really happening on Saturday nights. All the shops are open, tons of tourism. The restaurants are full. When we went, again, it was ghost town. There was nobody there. There was only a couple of shops that were open.
1: That's true. So now that you're here and you're um, you're speaking to me and other people, you know, would you recommend that other people? I mean, it doesn't. It's not free. It's it, it's a big responsibility and it's also expensive. But would you recommend other people do this?
2: A hundred percent, I recommend it. In fact, when I came home and I was talking to a friend of mine, she said, how do you sound so hopeful? And I just felt so much more hopeful being there than being here. And I'm not saying that to minimize. I know that it's absolutely terrible and terrifying what's going on in Israel. And I know that I had a, a, you know, I was there for six days, but... There I feel like the country is united and it is beautiful and it is full of hope and they are putting one foot in front of the other and here it's a different battle and it's a different struggle. What happened after Shabbat in Jerusalem we turned on our phones and that's when that's when there was on the Friday when we were in Israel is when there was the bomb threat at Chad. It was it was such an odd experience to be scared for the yeah, El's daughter goes to Chad and obviously we all know like lots of kids who go there and it's our community school so to be worried for our kids safety in Canada when we felt safer in Israel at a time of war Mm -hmm. was so such an odd feeling the police pushing the car seats with the little kids out of the daycare that's attached to chat and we were showing it to the Israelis there and they were shocked they couldn't believe it and they said wow that's so terrifying Mm -hmm. so such an odd experience it was like a not what we, not what they expected, and you know, we we knew we were flying into a war zone, but to feel safer there and to be bored for our children here was very
0: odd. You know, we we thought we were coming there to help and to to show support and do what we can, but really, like Sherry said, being there and feeling the resilience and optimism and hope and unity of the people, we got so much more out of it really than what we could have possibly given in in, in a week. So I would definitely encourage everyone who can to go and. It'll, you'll be doing a lot for the country, but you'll also be doing a lot for yourself because the people there really are incredible.
1: Israel's Consul for Tourism, Galhana, is based out of the consulate in Toronto. And since he arrived to take up his posting about four years ago, he's sure seen a lot of problems. COVID lockdowns interrupted international travel for several years. El Al ended its direct service to Canada for good. And now the war that's put a halt to the inflow of nearly $5 billion to Israel's tourism sector each year, plus risking nearly a quarter million jobs, people who depend on tourism. Since nobody knows when the war will end or even when Air Canada might resume flying to Israel, HANA and the government tour office have a new plan. They're encouraging people to volunteer to rebuild Israel, even if they don't actually travel there right away.
4: As you said um... It's an understatement, and um, the effect of touri- on tourism is devastating, especially when it comes after COVID, and when the tourism just started to ramp up after the pandemic. Needless to say that in the periphery, in the, in the Gaza envelope, and in the south, tourism is a big economic engine growth, which makes it even more important for tourism to resume as fast as possible. We love to ha- be more proactive. Hence, we are working right now to make sure that we will be ready um, to launch marketing campaigns and, and invite travelers to come to Israel um, right when things will come back to normal, hopefully throughout the, the 2024. Um, we can't live without travel and tourism. The region needs it. The country needs that. And Canadians love Israel. We see that already, by the way, that many people wish to travel regardless to the situation in Israel, and and maybe because of the situation in Israel, we see first seeds of volunteerism in in travel. People are coming, Christians and Jewish alike, coming to Israel in different missions, mainly led by the Jewish organizations, and we are looking to amplify that. So although it is very difficult right now, so as we said, a a small candle makes a lot of light, so we do see the optimism and we do hope that things will turn uh, for better and so on.
1: But a lot of the um, tourist places such as the Galilee for example is and maybe some of the hotels in Eilat are all full of internally displaced Israelis. So, I mean, they're not going home anytime soon. How are you going to... So right
4: now the government is looking for something more um, sustainable as a solution for the evacuees. We are building our plan based on the fact that once the evacuees will go back to their hometowns and to their homes, the ones that can and the, the ones that can't will go to something more sustainable solutions. The hotels will have some about a month of recovery to renovate a little bit where they stayed, and then they will be able to welcome tourists. And I don't think that we'll see a huge amount of travelers coming right after the war.
1: Are you thinking April for Pesach? Are you thinking before? You said early 2024.
4: The the optimistic approach will be, I hope, around February. The more realistic approach will be around Passover. And the pessimistic is even after Passover, around May, um, for the Independence Day. I think that this, in 2024 the Independence Day and the Memorial Day in Israel are going to look different than we ever thought of. Um, So we'll see a lot of missions. Uh, If we thought that the 75th anniversary was big, I think that is going to be the parallel to the establishment of Israel kind of uh, sentiment.
1: What do you want Canadian Jews and the Christian community to do now?
4: I think that what we see now is we are going back to our basics, In the Ministry of Tourism, we are now focusing our energy on the faith-based market, Christians and Jewish people. We are looking to incorporate more voluntarism in in the itineraries and to make sure that if there were times that we tried to avoid of sending tourists to more conflict zones, now for sure they will go to the Gaza envelope. I think that in many ways it will be the parallel experience to Yad Vashem no one can come to Israel without visiting these places. There are some, already now we know that there are some houses that are going to remain, like in October the 7th, to emphasize what happened there. So no one can deny, like what we are seeing right now globally, that our de- people are denying the fact that there was anything in the magnitude that we are claiming that it was. So we are trying to make people visit to Israel much more significant, much more meaningful, especially because of the the kind of motivations that they are coming with. Whether if it's a Christian that is coming to take part in the restoration of the country, whether if it's a Jewish person that for the first time in many, many years feel the connections because of the rise of the anti-Semitism, And we see that the sentiment that for the first time in many years, even people in Toronto now understand that it's not us and them in regards of Israel. It's a we issue, and we are all in the same thing, and we need to support each other. And the Jewish community here is now, and in Israel, is more united than ever before. They encountered anti-Semitism here. They saw what happened in Indigo. They saw they they are watching what happens every week downtown Toronto. They feel insecure. They some of their neighbors took out their mezuzah. They say, listen. Only in Israel, you'll feel like home, and they need this kind of confidence.
1: I was seeing that uh, you're interested in, if you're not interested in going now, then at least buy tickets for other people in the future. Can you sort of walk me through what that's supposed to be?
4: So we are encouraging everyone to buy now their their travel, to book now their travel plans. In that way, they can secure better rates, We are encouraging them. Many, many companies already have different benefits to people that will book now. We see that with El Al in booking uh, with air credits. Um, We hope to work the same thing with Air Canada. We are working with hotels that are offering as well benefits if you'll book now to travel as soon as possible. Again, we are not asking anyone to travel when Israel is, is still in a state of war, but we do urge everyone that once the war will finish, to travel as soon as possible, to assist in the restoration of the country, to assist in, in when volunteerism and when their visit will have the most meaningful footprint on the state of Israel.
1: The obvious question is El Al isn't flying out of Toronto, out of Canada anymore. How big a problem is that when you have to try to now relaunch tourism?
4: Bringing back El Al is the number one priority on our behalf. We need more competition on the route. We need, uh, it will bring better rates. It will bring better service. It will bring better quality. We hope that by 2025 El Al will resume, the demand to Israel will kick back and they will follow. And this is why it is so important for, for our market to bounce back quickly and as fast as possible.
1: And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you want to learn more about Rabbi Moskowitz's hostage bracelets and you want to buy some, I've put the link in our show notes. The website is tilltheyallcomehome.com. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily.